Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. So we're here at Freedom Fest in Memphis, Tennessee, and I'm here with Demetrius Miner, who is the National Manager for Conservatives Concerned About the Death Penalty. Demetrius, thanks for joining me to talk about the death penalty. Hey, Doug. Glad to be with you. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pretty serious conversation, but how did you get into doing what you're doing? And tell us what it is that you're here to do here at Freedom Fest and as an organization. Well, I'll start with what we're here to do at Freedom Fest. I'm always happy and um, honored to be with a group of people who care about freedom and liberty and want to center their lives around those values. Today, Thursday, on July 13th, we're having a breakout session on the main stage at 3.10 p.m. And it's going to be very impactful, Doug. We're going to have a keynote speaker by the name of Crystal Martin, who is a murder victim's family member. Mm. Her husband was murdered. Her mother was murdered. She's going to share her personal story. And then for a couple of minutes, we're going to have a panel discussion, which I will be moderating, talking about the policy impact of the death penalty in various states. So I believe a lot of hearts and minds are going to be impacted today. How I got into this work was pretty unique. I thought I knew what it meant to be pro-life. I'm a beneficiary of adoption, born to a mother who had five kids. All five of us have different fathers. She was in and out of jail. The trajectory of my life was not headed in a positive direction. So I thought I knew what it meant to be pro-life. Until the mid-2000s, when my pastor and I had a conversation about the death penalty, And he simply said this. He said, it's hard to be pro-life and simultaneously pro-death. And that statement alone inserted some personal moral convictions within me that compelled me to reevaluate where I stood and to make sure that I'm pro-life all the way and not just simply pro-birth. Were you particularly interested in the death penalty as in like, yeah, I really think that's a good thing? At the, at the time? No, as a conservative, I felt like I had to support the death penalty as a default position. I okay. couldn't really tell you okay. why, yeah. but it was not till later on that I felt compelled to speak out on this. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. So you changed your mind based on something your pastor, a conversation you had with your pastor? A simple conversation with my pastor. That's sort of the genesis of the yeah. journey. But then looking at it through the lens of how inept government can be, I saw multiple problems with the death penalty, not just morally. It started morally, but culturally, politically, within the lens of the criminal justice system, there's so much wrong with it, and it needs to be done away with. Yeah, yeah. So what does your organization do outside of Freedom Fest? Are you doing, like, state-level abolition of stuff? Because, I mean, at the f- I don't even know what the federal-level legislation is all about. Or are you not even about legislation? Are you about convincing people to vote differently? We, we are about legislation, and uh, we're very involved with many state campaigns. For example, in the state of Ohio, we have legislation to repeal the death penalty and a Republican-led state legislature where both chambers are controlled by Republicans and where a Republican governor behind the scenes is in support of our bill. Um, We have uh, a moratorium campaign in the red state of Oklahoma. We're opening up a chapter in Texas. We're involved on the West Coast in Utah, Arizona, Wyoming, Nevada. So basically, our organization exists to bring education, advocacy, and awareness to Republicans and conservative audiences 
about the use of capital punishment and how we can rid ourselves of it. What are some of the challenges that you tend to face or have to overcome by people who think that death penalty ought to still be the default? Well, you know, we're in this society where in this political climate where there is a strong narrative about being tough on crime, right? Like no one wants to appear as soft on crime. And it's within our natural instincts to want revenge Mm -hmm. uh, or to avenge an evil that's been done with someone. Part of the challenge of that narrative is reminding people that the death penalty is an emotional reaction. But when that you look at the facts and you see that we have put innocent people to death, and to me, one innocent person put to death is one too many. When you look at it through the lens of big government, that's what the death penalty is. You're giving the government the power to have state-sanctioned violence. So drawing people in to where they see the facts and not just an emotional reaction is always a challenge, but it's a challenge worth taking. Yeah, yeah. What do you know about the statistics in the U.S.? I know a lot of people, Yeah, I see people's comment on like Facebook or Twitter from outside the United States, and they talk about how America is terrible because of the death penalty, when actually it's been abolished in most of the country right? in a lot of ways. And it's really, at least last time I checked with somebody who was also against death penalty, it really was a matter of there was only a, a few regions of the United States that, I believe that it's are really Japan and Singapore. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, in the U.S., there's only a handful of states that still have it on the books where they actively practice it. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying outside the U.S., Japan and Singapore still actually... I believe Japan and Singapore, don't quote me on that, but I believe yeah. that those are the few industrialized nations yeah. that still practice the use of the death penalty. Okay, yeah. okay. So how would you rate America at this point if a lot of America has actually pretty much abolished it? Is this a matter of like just whittling it down all the way from like the remaining counties that actually put it into practice? So th- my position is it's a matter of if and not when the death penalty will be totally abolished. Obviously, um, the political dynamic in each state is different. But looking at the current trend, we're moving in in a positive direction. Some states will take longer to abolish the death penalty. But when you look at how the death penalty is being repealed, and 20 to 30 years ago, Republicans, conservatives were not having these type of conversations. But that trend has been shifting to where more conservatives are seeing the death penalty at a bare minimum as problematic. And I believe that that trend is going to continue to turn in our favor. And as that's happening, that's when the death penalty is going to be a thing of the past. Yeah, yeah. Well, and why do you think that conversation has changed? Are there certain factors at play that are like, oh, yeah, more conservatives are actually open to this message? You know, Doug, and I think this is also for criminal justice reform in general, why there's been a stronger appetite for it in recent years. I strongly believe it's because more people either directly or indirectly are becoming impacted by it, either by themselves Mm. or a family member or a loved one. We tend to not gravitate towards things that doesn't affect us, but everybody is becoming affected by the justice system, whether Mm -hmm. it's mandatory minimums, the penal system. And because of that impact, I think more people are starting to become aware of the bias and the implications that the current justice system has. Yeah, yeah. No, well, I, I think it's important that the conversation has changed. Where can people find what you're doing? You have a website, Twitter account? We do. You can find us on our website, conservativesconcern.org. You can find us on Twitter at CCATDP. You can find us on Instagram at Conservatives Concern. You can also find us at Facebook 
on Facebook. That's awesome. Demetrius, thanks for having this conversation with us. I really wish you all the success. I'm also against the death penalty, and I really think the work that you're doing is doing the Lord's work, and it's really important. I appreciate it. We need voices like you and others to help the work become successful. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Hey, folks, I just want to take a break from our episode to ask you to consider becoming an LCI insider. We want everyone to feel engaged and excited about what LCI is doing. And the best way to do that is if you become a monthly supporter at $20 or more per month, you will become what we're calling our LCI insiders. You get some free gifts. You get an exclusive Crisis King magnetic lapel pin. We give you two copies of Faith Seeking Freedom. We send monthly eBooks months ahead of when they're released on our public website. You can get discounts on our swag on our online store, and you get exclusive invites to our quarterly live streams with the LCI staff. In addition to that, whenever we do publish something like a physical book like Strangers with Candy, we'll also send you those as well. So the best way to stay up to date on what we're doing and to support what the Libertarian Christian Institute is doing, including supporting the podcast you're listening to right now, is to become an LCI insider. So to do that, go to libertarianchristians.com slash donate and then choose recurring monthly gift and you'll be added to our list automatically. Thank you for your support and I'll let you get back to the podcast. All right, we're recording at the Libertarian Christian Institute booth at Freedom Fest Memphis. I'm here with Crystal Martin, who's with the Conservatives Concerned About the Death Penalty. Crystal, thanks for being part of this conversation. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you know, a lot of conservatives are very much in favor of the death penalty. So I think the title of the organization is kind of useful because it gets people being like, wait, I thought conservatives were not concerned about the death penalty or maybe concerned in a very different direction. So what is conservatives concerned about death penalty? What's the main mission and how do you try to accomplish that? We try to help educate others about what the death penalty actually is and the impacts that it has on other people okay. in order to repeal it in different states. Yeah, yeah. What's the one main misconception that people have about the death penalty that, I mean, we know what it is. It means, you know, you killed somebody, we kill you kind of mentality, but it's probably more complicated than that. I think that one of the main arguments that I've ever faced was that biblically it is punishable through the Bible Mm -hmm. to have corporate punishment. Okay. Yeah. So you were telling me before we got started that you are a victim of family members who have been murdered? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah. So in 1993, my mother was kidnapped, raped, and murdered after she was at work. And it took us about two weeks to find her. And Mm. then in 2014, my husband was shot and burned in a fire pit. Oh, wow. Wow. That must have had a pretty interesting effect. I mean, how did that impact you in terms of justice? So it really opened my eyes to a lot of things. As a child, I really didn't understand the judicial system. And then as I grew up, I became a child in the justice system because I was Mm -hmm. acting out in behavioral ways Mm -hmm. because of the trauma that I had already faced. And so when I was an adult, I decided that I was going to go to criminal justice school because I really wanted to understand Mm -hmm. everything. I wanted to understand a, a criminal mindset. I wanted to understand how the justice system works. And then I wanted to help others in the juvenile detention centers Mm -hmm. and become a case manager for them. And then I started doing some research on restorative justice and the death penalty. And 
I figured I was the best person to start understanding restorative yeah, justice yeah. and uh, go through a victim-offender dialogue with both offenders and oh, wow. realize that my feeling as a child and through my faith was right on the money as far as, you know, it wasn't a social standard where I believed that the death penalty should be intact. It was actually that I didn't understand why people had the right to choose when another person died. Mm. And understanding it through the criminal justice sense, I realized how does man have the ability to choose when we're all sinners? Mm. So it was really been a huge learning experience for me mm-hmm. in order to start talking about it and have a voice. Yeah. So your experience obviously has primed you, prepped you to be at a critical advocate for being against the death penalty. But I would wonder if some people would think, well, wouldn't you want justice by having someone just face the consequences of their actions? You said that who are we to decide when this perpetrator dies, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the yeah. yeah. And I would say, well, well, he did. When he committed that act, that would be one particular comeback to that would be he decided that he submits to whatever the laws are. And when he wants to commit this act, I assume these are both males. So I'm saying he for that yes. sake. But what is the response to that and say, well, he actually gave up the right to decide when he died, when he committed or they committed these atrocious acts? You know, what I usually tell people is I would like you to put yourself in my shoes. I had two family members removed from me by another person's choice and actions. But if the shoe were on the other foot, would you like to lose a family member of yours? Mm -hmm. I really talk a lot about the cycle of trauma Mm -hmm. when it comes to criminal offenses such as homicide. Right, um, Because it doesn't only impact the victim's family, but it really impacts the offender's family too. So yes, we're suffering because we've lost somebody forever. And yes, we want justice, but not in that kind of way. Our grief process brings out that anger. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people think, okay, yeah, I do want justice. I want them to die. But then when you take a step back and you really start understanding, you're like, okay, well, how is it fair for me to take this other person's family member away from them? Like, it is not right for me to do harm to the offender's family either. Yeah, no, that's true. You were talking about the restorative justice piece, and I want to talk about that. It seems that, and I am with you on that, it seems that that is a healthier resolution to the issue of violence or even just any sort of aggression or violation of rights than is mere tit-for-tat, eye-for-an-eye kind of ethic, right? Right, Um, And so how was that process for you to impact how you were able to, I mean, I'm assuming you went through a process of forgiveness like a I whole did. Lot of stuff, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, it was huge. So my restorative justice experience, it was, <laughs> well, I was doing my project for school and I was like, wait, what? Restorative justice, all this stuff yeah, that yeah, I'm yeah. reading about, there is no way that it's going to help somebody actually heal from a victim standpoint. So I ended up calling the state of Wyoming and I was like, hey, I'm the perfect person to experiment this on. Mm -hmm. I want to do the restorative justice program. And so they were able to get it for me. 
And we did a preparation process. And I actually started understanding a lot of the crime and how it impacted me by asking open-ended questions. Mm -hmm. And then I started to have open-ended questions about the offender and how it may have impacted him. And it wasn't until we did the face-to-face that I was able to have that strength to stand up. It was better than the victim's impact statement that I've ever had to write, but it was two and a half hours of me being able to explain the impacts that it had on my life, on yeah. my on my children's life, on my family's life, yeah, yeah. you know, my dad especially. So it was one of those things where it was, I found my power. I no longer had to have fear. Yeah. Right. What was, I'm just kind of curious, is that moderated by somebody? Like, is there like a therapist there? Is the conversation moderated or is it more like open-ended, but there's someone there to be referee, I guess? I don't know. There's somebody there. They're called mediators, but they are kind of there just to referee. So if something starts getting out of hand, they kind of bring it back on track. Um, But we didn't have to have that a whole lot. It was really just a conversation. And any time that I would find analytical talk, Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. would bring the person back into the conversation with me. And it was just really nice to have almost that backup person yeah. to yeah, have, yeah, sure. like, yeah. support you mm-hmm. through this. How was the, how did the meeting conclude? Honestly, it, it concluded by me crying for the person. <laughs> mm. I, I know that's not the same for everybody, sure. but being able to understand that as a person, I would be just as guilty of committing sin. And yes, that was a heinous crime. But statistically, with all of my childhood trauma, I could have been in those same shoes. And then I also saw that he was a child and grew up to be this person Mm, that people feared. So I had to understand that he was still a child of God and that he was a brother. And he had the right to choose his path and only God can punish that. And he has the right to ask for forgiveness. Yeah. Well, that's a really powerful story. I really appreciate you coming to talk about that because I think it's an example of one of the powers of love and grace and forgiveness. And restorative justice is better than eye for an eye and vengeance and the state killing people. And absolutely. I, and I really appreciate you sharing your story, Crystal. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. Thank you.